Welcome. I am Ryan. I am a father of four. Can you believe that? I'm a father of four. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Pray for us. Um, no, it's actually gone really well. Uh, Paxton, Isaiah will be three weeks old tomorrow. And um, he's been by far our best sleeper, most calm baby. And I think God kind of knows in the moment what you need. And so we're thankful for that. And uh, Tara's here with Paxton around so you guys can see him and love on him. But we're really excited about the new addition to our family. Thanks for letting us take a little time just to adjust into that role. So uh, we're glad that you're here as we continue this summer series on the life of Moses. And we want to say welcome to those of you watching in the parent viewing room. And that's a great place to go if you have little ones that get fussy during the service. Just past our donuts and coffee, there's a room there that you'll find where you can watch the service live with us. Well, right inside of your bulletin should be some message notes if you want to go ahead and grab those out right now and grab your pen. And we'll give you some fill-in-the-blanks to kind of take with you today. Uh, Last week, we heard an amazing message from Jeremiah about understanding how God is the great I am and how our strength is not found in us, but our strength is rather found in who he is. And if you haven't listened to that yet, I would encourage you to get online. Just go to riverwaychurch.com and get on and listen to last week because it was so good. And the week before that, Vince, a friend of mine, came and shared, and I heard from several of you how much that uh, meant to you, and so I'm just thrilled about it. But to bring you up to speed, maybe if you're just kind of jumping in on this series with us, we've heard how Moses was born as a Hebrew and sent down the river only to be picked up by the Pharaoh's daughter and raised as an Egyptian. Moses discovers who he really is, that he's not an Egyptian, that he's really a Hebrew. And God speaks to him, and he, from that moment on, he flees Egypt trying to figure it out. And guys, I don't know, I'm getting a little ring on this, and it's probably me, but I don't know if there's anything you can do. Um, God begins to speak to him through a bush that is burning, yet it's not consumed, and so that's a pretty wild encounter that Moses has. And God calls him to go deliver the Israelites from hundreds of years of slavery. Now, for us, we might think, hey, if I was t- God was talking to me through a burning bush, I'd be like, hey, no sweat, right? Of course I'll go, God. I'll go do that for you. But when you're talking about delivering a couple million people from one of the greatest nations on earth and from somebody who's not going to willingly let them walk out the door, this is not, we're not talking about going to 7-Eleven and picking up a Slurpee, okay? We're talking about this is a major, major deal. And Moses chooses to obey God, and he confronts Pharaoh to let the people be freed and to travel to their own land. And we pick up this story in Exodus chapter 5. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with us. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen with us. It says, afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. I'm not exactly sure how the rest of that conversation went, but it might have gone something just like this. Go ahead and take a look. Maybe you thought you had an interesting family dynamic, but uh, these guys have a family dynamic. Why? You know why? Because they grew up as brothers in the same household. And it wasn't until Moses fled and the truth came out about who he really was that suddenly it's now brother against brother, one fighting for God and the other fighting for himself. But Pharaoh was not going to just let every employee that he had, the free slave, slave labor that 
to walk out that door without a fight. He was about to dig his heels in to the ground regardless of what Moses or God said. And it was as if Moses just began to kick the hornet's nest. In Exodus 1, 6 through 9, it says, That same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. So you can imagine in this moment, all these Israelites, right, they're in slavery and Moses is coming to their rescue and Moses, all he does is cause problems. So you can imagine now, they're working twice as hard and they're looking at Moses saying, thanks for nothing, you jerk, right? Maybe you should have just stayed where, where you were and Moses is taking this really personally. And he probably does what you and I would do. He returns to the Lord in verse 22 and says, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, let me remind you, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Burning bush, you told me to go, I went. You said you were going to deliver the people, and God, you haven't delivered the people. I don't know what's going on, but God, I've got a timeline here, and I'd like to get out of here sooner than later. Exodus 6, then the Lord said back to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his own country. I established my covenant with them, the Israelites, to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. God's saying, listen, I, I've remembered the promise that I've made to these people that I'm going to set them free, and I plan to make good on that promise. Therefore, he says, go say to the Israelites that I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, that word yoke is an important word, so hold on to that word and kind of circle it mentally, because we'll come back to that in a second. He said, I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Right? What an amazing promise that God gives. What a reassurance that God is still with them, and he's still fighting for them. And then come the plagues, and maybe you've heard about this, but this is your first fill-in, that God showed his power and demonstrated his promise by sending plague after plague upon the Egyptians. And it all started when Moses told Aaron to take the staff that he was holding and dip it into the Nile River, and when he did that, the water began to turn to blood and began to flow into all water it wasn't just the Nile River, but every form of water, all of the water in all of Egypt turned to blood. But Pharaoh said he would not release God's people. And after due warning, the second plague came to Egypt. Aaron stretched forth his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs began to swarm up over Israel. Maybe this is some of you are like your worst nightmare. 
But frogs, slimy frogs, began to cover every inch of the land and entered houses and bedrooms. Wherever the Egyptians turned, there were the slimy bodies of frogs that ended up dying, and they would heap them together and start burning them. And Pharaoh became frightened, and he told Moses and Aaron to pray to their God that he would remove the frogs, and if he did, that he would set the people free. And they did, and God relented. But as soon as those frogs were gone, he broke his promise and would not let the people go. Then God ordered Aaron to strike the dust of the earth with his staff. And no sooner did he do that than bugs began to swarm all over the land. Bugs covered every inch of the land of Egypt. Man and beast suffered untold misery from this terrible plague. And again, Pharaoh hardened his heart and said, he dug his heels and said, I will not let God's people go. So God brought plague number four, which was hordes of wild animals roving all over the country and destroyed everything in their path. But here's what's so interesting in your next fill-in that only Goshen, the place where the Israelites lived, was spared from this as well as all the other plagues. So imagine the Israelites, they live in their own separate area because they're slaves. And Egyptians, they can't be like hanging out with Israelites, right? So they got their own place. But what's crazy is that all of these plagues as they're taking place in, Go- in, in Egypt, they're looking over into Goshen and realizing that they are experiencing none of what they are. That God was protecting his own people. And again, Pharaoh begged for mercy because his land had been decimated by these wild animals. And he made promises and God relented. And again, Pharaoh broke his promise, hardened his heart. And God said, okay, buckle up. Plague number five, God sent a fatal disease that killed most of the animals in Egypt. And how these people must have grieved when they saw their stately horses, the pride of Egypt, die along with all the cattle that they owned. On top of that, they had to see the animals that the Israelites have go unharmed. Pharaoh would not budge. Then came the sixth plague, which was so painful and horrible that it struck the people of Egypt with horror and agony. God commanded Moses to take suit from the furnaces and to throw it up in the air. And as he did, and as that suit began to spread, boils began to cover the bodies of every person in Egypt and over all the animals. Painful blisters that they would scrape off with stone, if you can imagine. It wasn't enough. And so next, Moses announced to the king that a hailstorm of unprecedented violence was to cover the land, that no living thing, no tree would escape its fury. Safety would only be found in the shelter of their homes. And for those that believed them, they began to move their cattle and their servants into these sheds. But for those that didn't take Moses at his word, which, I mean, why wouldn't you at this point? I mean, you're, you know, you're 0 for 5. I mean, that's not very good average, right? And so I don't know why they didn't believe him, but they didn't. And so many of them just stayed out in the fields. And the hail came and poured down with violence. Man and animal who were exposed to its rage died on the spot. And yet again, in the land of Goshen, there was no hailstorm. But in Egypt, it may have looked something just like this. Watch this. 
So Moses, in this moment, he relents just for a moment, and he decides to make a compromise. He says, all right, Moses, listen, Egypt has just been wrought with destruction, and here's what I'm agreeing to. I will let all the men leave, but I want you to leave the women and children and all their belongings here. Because Moses knew that if the men left, they would have to come back. But God would not accept that offer, and Moses would not stop his requests until it was fully met that everyone could leave in all of their possessions. And Moses again tried to warn him that God would not relent until his people were rescued, but Pharaoh would not budge. And as soon as Moses left the palace, he raised his arms towards heaven and an east wind brought a swarm of locusts, grasshoppers everywhere that came in and devoured everything green that had previously escaped the hail and the previous plagues. And never in the history of mankind had such a devastating plague of locusts come upon the face of the earth as this one, but it brought complete ruin to Egypt. So why so many plagues? And what kind of person wouldn't get the clue by now that God meant business? You see, maybe that wasn't God's only motive as your next fill-in reads. Not only was God getting the attention of Pharaoh... But he wanted to let all of the Egyptians and Israelites know that while they claimed thousands of gods, that he was the one true God. You see, they had thousands of idols and thousands of gods that they worshipped. And that's why in the beginning of that video clip, when Pharaoh asked, well, what God are you listening to? They had thousands of gods. But each of these plagues was, to, was designed to destroy the confidence of the gods that they had placed in Egypt. For example, several gods were associated with the Nile River. And when that water was turned to blood, the reputation of those river gods was destroyed. When the cattle were afflicted with disease, it was a blow to Apis, the bull god. And the next plague, when the sun was darkened for three days, the light from the god Re and other sun gods was shut off. Amazing show of God's supreme authority over every other false god. And it followed with this ninth plague. For several days, all of Egypt was enveloped in a thick and impenetrable veil of darkness. Have you ever been in a spot where it was so dark that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face? Have you ever done that? And you thought, oh, this is cool. I can't even see my hand. Whoa. And then after about another second, you start to get really scared. You're like, I can't see my hand, right? So you're kind of freaking out. Well, that's what happened for three days. And the Egyptians were gripped with fear. In fact, no one moved from the spot where they stood or sat. They were gripped with fear. And what was so fascinating is that the Bible says that only in the land of Goshen, somehow there was still light in that land. What an amazing feat. And again, Pharaoh tried to bargain with Moses, but Moses would accept nothing less than the complete freedom for the men, women, and children, and that they were to take all their belongings with them. And now Pharaoh, because of his own pride, became angry, and he ordered Moses to leave, and he said, never come back. And Moses replies with one last warning. And it may have gone something just like this. The final plague would be, the spirit of death that would come and claim the life of every firstborn in every single family throughout Egypt. And Pharaoh had his own firstborn son. 
And the Bible says that midnight came and God struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of King Pharaoh on down to the firstborn of the captive in the dungeon. All the firstborn of the cattle, exactly as Moses had warned. And as the night went on, there was a loud wail that began to come over Egypt. As you can imagine, moms and dads finding their child dead. The Bible clued in all of the Israelites, and Moses told them, we want you to take a perfect lamb, one without blemish, and I want you to sacrifice that lamb. And none of its bones can be broken. And it needs to be sacrificed between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m., and I want you to take the blood of that lamb, and I want you to begin to wipe that blood over the doorposts of your home. And the Lord has promised that when the spirit of darkness and the spirit of death comes, When it sees the blood of the lamb, it will pass by your home. And the Israelites did exactly this. And this would become a prophetic picture some 1,400 years later when Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb for us. And after Pharaoh lost his own son, he relented. In Exodus 12, 31, it says, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go and worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, go. Go ahead and watch this clip. They were finally free. This was their exodus. Out of the land of Egypt. In Exodus 12, 40, it says, Now the length of time that the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. Your next fill-in, God never forgot the promise that he made to his people that they would be free. He was even counting the very days. Amazing to think that there's a God that loves us with that same intensity and focus, that desires our freedom as much as theirs. And when you look at the sacrifice of the lamb that the Israelites had to make and the death of Jesus Christ, the correlation between the two is astounding. You see, the lamb that the Israelites used, as I told you, had to be that male lamb without blemish, killed between 3 and 5 p.m. for none of its bones to be broken, for the blood to be smeared on the doorposts of every Israelite home. And in similar fashion, Jesus was called the Lamb of God, and First Peter tells us that he was without blemish. In other words, he was without sin. And during the brutal crucifixion, the gospel of John tells us that not one of his bones was broken. And the gospel of Matthew tells us that he died at three o'clock in the afternoon. You see, your next fill in the blood of Jesus became a covering for our sin so that we could become free ourselves. It's as if the blood of Jesus was taken and spread over the doorposts of our heart. And when then the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy everything out of our life, 
God says, I look past your sin. I look past the penalty that you're due for your sin. And I will come and I will bring you new life. In your last filling, that no matter what you find yourself a slave to, that God is able to deliver you. And I don't know where you're at this morning, but as we wrap up, I think about the many things that usually enslave us. The things that we feel bound to. You see, God came in and he said, I'm going to deliver the Israelites from the yoke of slavery. And, and simply that picture is the yoke, is the beam that goes across the two, ant, the two bulls' shoulders that keep them locked in place so they can't maneuver off the farm field. And it keeps them in tow. And it's a heavy yoke that they've got to carry through the field. And God said, I'm going to take that yoke off of the Israelites, the slavery, the slavery that they've been forced to carry for so long. Maybe it's an exodus for us out of a certain relationship. Maybe it's exodus out of greed or lust or lies, self-hate, depression, lack of purpose. Maybe you've been a slave to fear or an addiction that is controlling you. Whatever your Egypt is, because only you and God know it, Whatever your Egypt is, there is a God who offers us his son. And it's all about Jesus. There's no answer that the world can give you for the problems that you face that will ultimately satisfy your soul. There is only one name and one person that can truly free us and take off that yoke of slavery. And it's Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. No matter where you've been, no matter how deep you are, no how matter how hard you've tried to pretend that you have it all together, deliverance is possible through Jesus. And the reason I know this is because every single one of us in this room are broken. Every single one of us are messed up on some level and broken to some degree, one degree different than the other, it's okay. But we're all flawed and all broken, and every single one of us need a Savior, and it's found in Jesus Christ. We all have different issues. We all have different temptations. We all have different failures. But the blood of Jesus offers us freedom every day if we will choose to walk in him. It's every day getting up saying, God, I can't live according to my flesh today. God, I'm asking for my face to be turned towards you today. To focus on your sacrifice and your blood that is willing to set me free today if I'm willing to walk in it. God, I'm asking for that freedom to be real in my life for today. Because I know what awaits me at work and I know what awaits me at home and I know what awaits me in that relationship. I know what awaits me at school. I know what awaits me. And I'm asking you to come in and be my guide. You see, even when you're a Christ follower, it's so easy to lose sight of this. So easy to lose sight of the cross and what that freedom can bring into our lives. And as we close with this verse, Galatians 5.1, I just feel like it puts it all together. And it says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. 
Don't let that yoke of sin that you used to carry, don't carry it anymore. You don't have to. Christ has set you free. Stand firm in the fact that you are God's son and God's daughter. And he's willing to walk with you into freedom and walk you into forgiveness every single time we ask. This whole idea of stand firm, it reminds me of Ephesians 5, when the Bible says that when you're trying to defeat temptation, the Bible says that stand firm and put on the full armor of God. And if you want a great lesson this week, go home and read that this week, Ephesians 5, and read about the full armor of God. It talks about putting on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness, carrying the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and the belt of truth. And as we gird ourselves up with God's word and the blood of Jesus, we can be free from whatever enslaves us. So can we pray together? Would you mind just closing your eyes all over this room? And we just want to take about 30 seconds right here in this moment between you and God. There's nothing really spiritual about closing your eyes. It just helps us focus right here in this moment. And I don't know what your Egypt is because I know what mine is. God's offering to set us free from those things. And so in this 30 seconds, would you talk to God and just ask him about it? Declare your intentions to walk in freedom and be set free and not have that yoke of slavery, that yoke of sin. We believe here at Riverway Church that God can speak to us. It won't be an audible voice, but he can speak right to your heart. And so between you and God, let's do that right now. thank you for this incredible story of how you delivered the Israelites when they thought all hope was lost. And for us in this moment, the things that have held on to our lives that we thought all hope was lost, I thank you that you give us hope and freedom can be found in your son and in his blood that he shed for us. And so today we invite your freedom into our lives. Show us how to stand firm and declare your freedom in our lives. And we receive it. We receive the sacrifice of your son. As you're leading us into all truth, as you're leading us into all freedom. God, help us to look to you. Help us to die to our flesh and die to our desires and allow your spirit to live inside of us. And because of that, we have great hope. So walk with us tomorrow. God, remind us tomorrow as we get up to put all of our attention and our hope in you and the sacrifice of your son. May we let go of all the things that have enslaved us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.